is that the best or what? I love that. I just love that. I asked the guys if they could do that. That's uh, every year I look at that. I just think it's so great. It's a couple years old. I mean, where can you get the Messiah and Arby's in the same thing? I mean, that's just, that's, that's just designed by God, I think. I mean, <laughs> just terrific. Handel's Messiah, of course, um, something that most of us know very well. And the passage that we're looking at today, I have a hard, and I'm not a singer, you know that, but I have a hard time going through this without, you know, for unto us, you know, that, that whole thing. It's just amazing. And uh, so I, th- I thought I'd get it out of my system and have you, have you watch that. I need you to pretend for a minute, okay? I need you to pretend that we're living around 700 B.C. Now, let me just set it up for you a little bit. 700 B.C., I mean, I'm sorry, if you're politically correct, that would be 700 B.C.E., okay? But I'm not, so it's 700 B.C. Um, and um, you're living, you know, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to make you Jewish, because if you're living 700 B.C., you've you got to be Jewish, because if you're not Jewish, you're going to be some heathen, because that's before any other world religions are really going, and there's no Eastern religion, there's no Islam, there's nothing else. So you've got to be Jewish, because uh, I don't want you to be a heathen. And um, so you're a Jewish person living in 700 B.C. A lot going on about that time of the year, that time of, of in history. Just give you a couple of, couple of uh, insights there. You, there's a new thing. Rome really hasn't been discovered yet, hadn't been founded, hasn't been founded. Um, but there, Italy is there, and um, there's a new thing happening in Italy about that time. Um, is they have this, this, this thing called a, a chariot. Never had a chariot before. You know, they got a big showroom, all the new chariot. No, I don't know about that. Um, but but it, the chariot is, is, is just becoming to, uh, into play, and, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a dark time. It's a real dark time. I mean, there's really no games. The Olympic Games would not be uh, founded for another 25 to 50 years. Um, so there's not really any ball teams to cheer for. Uh, I tell you what you're doing. You're not cheering. You're, you're trying to survive. You're just trying to live, because if you live anywhere in, 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 the, in the known world at that time, and even Israel, basically what's going well at this particular time, you, you have a good king, but you're about ready to be conquered by a group called the Assyrians, and uh, they're a bunch of just tremendously animalistic people. Uh, but if it wasn't them, there'd be other some nomadic tribe. Um, I mean, all of which is live by the live by the sword, literally not figuratively. And so you're, you're used to seeing people come in and go and take over your area, your, your state, your little town, your little village, whatever it might be. And then what happens in those days is you become slaves. I mean, I mean, might is right at that particular time. If you have the might, you have the strength, you're right and nobody can stop you. And you end up serving, whatever that might mean, those particular uh, conquerors. Pretty dark time. Pretty dark time in history. But because you're in Israel, because you're, you're, you're a good Jewish person, and you went to Hebrew school or the equivalent thereof, you know about something that this one guy has been talking about all around the country. Now, he is a rabbi. We would call him today a preacher. Uh, he was a prophet. His name is Isaiah. And Isaiah's starting to proclaim some things that are going to ring very true to who you are and what you believe because your mother and your father and your grandparents and their parents for generations on, on down have taught you about this particular thing that he is talking about, this person called the Messiah. 
So as dark as it is in your culture at that particular time, when he comes along and he starts talking about things like this, nevertheless, this is Isaiah's words, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. You're thinking, that's me, I'm in distress. All my people are in distress. And then he starts saying things like, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's got your attention. Because you're thinking, light? What must that be like? In this land of darkness. And then he starts, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Joy! I haven't experienced joy in my whole lifetime. Why is this prophet talking about joy? And then and he says, they rejoice. He, he, he puts it in some ways that you can relate to. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. You've seen that. You've seen people rejoice at the harvest. You've seen people rejoice when they conquer and, and are, are dividing the plunder. The problem is, most of the time you've seen it, you're the plunder. They're dividing you up among the, the different people and tribes and so forth. Pretty rough. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you recognize that as the last time that the children of Israel had a victory, which had been several years. Um, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke, the burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppression. You've broken out of that slavery. And he's got your attention. And you're thinking, I know what he's talking about. This is that thing that Rabbi such and such told me about. This is that thing that, that, that mom and dad told me about, that, that person, the Messiah. And then he goes into these next couple of lines, and you know exactly he's talking about the Messiah. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He's going to straighten things out, in other words. That's what some Bibles translate that. And he will be called four things. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Pretty cool. You think, I know what he's talking about. That's the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, and you're thinking this in 70 B.C., when the Messiah comes, he's going to change my life. He's going to change the life of everybody I know. With those four, he, he's, he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's a prince of peace. Let's start with the first one, wonderful counselor. Some, some translators put that as extraordinary strategist. He's going to have a different strategy for living. He's going to be able to, a, a different kind of counselor for life. He's different because he's the Messiah. And I immediately go to another passage in the New Testament that talks about this wonderful counselor, Jesus, the Messiah. Watch what he says here in talking to some Hebrew Christians in the New Testament. He puts it this way. He says, that is why we have a great high priest. That's, that's the Messiah. Who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Do you, I mean, is that amazing or what? He understands our weaknesses, whatever our weaknesses are. He, watch this. For he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. This Messiah, this high priest, you know, I don't know if you've thought about this. When you pray for help and you have a particular temptation that's really working you over, 
Jesus experienced that same temptation, whatever it might be. Maybe you have an anger issue. Jesus had that temptation. He never yielded to it. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him with a bunch of people like us? Jesus making mistakes, and you want to say, are you, are you people crazy? He would never say that. Are you a bunch of idiots? He would never say that. I would. He would never say that because he never sinned. People have anger issues. People have, maybe it's, maybe it's lust issues, lust for, for more stuff, lust for maybe the opposite sex, lust for, maybe you had a lust problem with the latest technology. Somebody told me afterwards service, they said, one of the services said, I, I, you got me there. I'm a lust after the latest technology. I don't know what that was in Jesus' time. I don't know, maybe that was the latest, maybe that was the latest chariot, I don't know. Um, but whatever it was, Jesus experienced that same, same temptation. Yet he never sinned. Never once. Never once. And you can go to him with whatever, yours he's, whatever you've experienced, whatever, whatever struggle you have had, Jesus has, only he didn't give in. And that's really, I mean, maybe you're like me. You, 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 you get one thing conquered and something else pops up, you know? And, and, and it's just like, but, but whatever that is, the Lord... Jesus, the Messiah, has said that he can relate to any temptation we have, yet he never sinned. You keep reading in Romans, so we can come boldly, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will be mercy, there we there will receive his mercy, and we will, we will find grace to help us just when we need, we will find grace to help us just when we need it the most. We can go to our Messiah about anything. That's two things there. First thing is this. I'll come back to that in a minute. One of the takeaways of this passage is that our Messiah, we can go to our, our God, and he, he's our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. The Messiah is the high priest. We can go to God at any time with our prayers. Anytime. I remember a, one of my friends who was one of the other services told me that, that when they came to a realization that they didn't need anyone else to go to Christ. It was, it was a mind-boggling thing. They said, it came to, it came, I came to a realization, I don't need a pastor. I don't need a most holy reverend. That'd be me. <laughs> Just in case, I want to make that clear. I was, no, I was called the other day, somebody called me the very reverend. And I was like, yep, it's me. And then, and then I, got a, I got a better one for you. Uh, I got a, where I play golf a lot. Um, the caddies look at your name tag, and mine says the Reverend Rich Teeters, which I didn't put it on there. I've been doing that every. It's, I fought it for a couple of years. It's an East Coast thing. I finally gave up on it. And I just said, put on there whatever you want. So they, didn't, they, they always struggled what to call me. They start, finally started calling me Rev, but this one caddy didn't know what to call me. So he, and I don't know what his background is. So he, to this day, whenever I see him, he, he calls me Your Eminence. <laughs> I kind of like it. I kind of like that. Your eminence. And I was, well, I was walking the other day over there with somebody, and, and we were, weren't playing golf. We were just walking over to the pro shop or something, and, and he saw me. He says, good afternoon, your eminence. And this guy with me says, are you kidding me? And I'm like, <laughs> deal with it. Um, anyway, kind of like that. You don't need a your eminence <laughs> or a your pastor to go to God. You can go directly to God. Now listen, don't misunderstand. I'm happy, any of us, Clay, Michael, myself, we're happy, we, we, not more than happy. We, we love praying with people because we want to help any way we can. But you, you don't have to have us. You, can, you don't have to have anybody. You can just go straight to God because of Jesus. He's your priest. 
And that's, that's the issue here. This Messiah we have takes us directly into the presence of God. Let us approach, let us approach the throne of our gracious God boldly. That's because we have a Messiah, and that's Jesus. And I, I mean, that's just, we don't have to wait. We just go right to God. So we have direct access, and we can, we can go to him about anything. You know, he says, come boldly to the throne. You know, I know guys all the time, I get this all the time, guys will tell me, well, you know, I pray about everything. I don't pray about pulling a deal in. And I'm like, why not? Well, I think that's selfish. Hey, let God determine that. I mean, you know, does your family, you know, does your family like to eat? What's the deal? Um, I mean, the, th- the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, you, you, you pray, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But we can approach the, the, the throne of God's grace. God, I, I need this deal. Please help me with this. He may answer the prayer in many different ways. I'm not saying he's going to answer it the way you think he should every time. He may not. But there's certainly nothing wrong with praying about it. We can approach the Lord at any time about anything. And that's, that's, that's the point here. And we will always find mercy and grace to help from this Messiah. About four years ago, in January, so almost four years ago exactly, another month, I was, um, I was going through some, I was in a dark time, a real dark time. And I was, a lot of things were going on here and a lot of stuff was going on other places and in my life and, and uh, just struggling with some issues. And it just got to the point where I was at, a, you know, I just, just at a boiling point. And I did, I've done it many times before, I've done it many times since, but this particular one I remember vividly because there was just so much happening and so much was building up inside of me. And I just knew I had to get alone and I was leaving here and I, I just stopped by, you know, laugh at me, but at my club and it's January, I'm not playing golf. I had a heavy coat with me. I got on my heavy coat, just parked my car and just started walking the golf course and praying. And I, I'm, a, as you probably can imagine, I'm a verbal, I process things verbally. Uh, some people are different. They process things, you know, non-verbally. I'm a verbal person. So when I pray, I pray out loud. I mean, that's why it's good to get away, you know. You don't think you're crazy. But um, so I just got out of my car and I just started walking and, and praying and just talking to God. And I, I, some of my prayer, I said, God, I don't know what, what in the heck's going on here. I don't know what you're doing in my life. I don't know what you're doing around here. I don't know what's happening in the Renaissance. I don't know what my family, I got all kinds of issues going on here. I just, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just talking to God. I walk for probably about an hour, hour and a half before I come back to my car. You know, during, that pro, during that time, I'm just, I didn't hear any thunderclaps. I didn't hear any voices. But I just talked to God, my counselor. Somewhere in there, again, no voices, no messages in the clouds, just, just the peace of that still small voice, that inner voice saying, Rich, I got you. I got you. And I was like, okay, I'm good. I've had to have a few more of those walks. But that's what he's talking about here with this wonderful counselor. This God, this, this Messiah that we can go to. Because you see, when the Messiah comes, he's going to change our lives. And that's one way that he does that, as our wonderful counselor. But he's not only our wonderful counselor. We're going to get a contrasting message here. He's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. That's what he says next. He's our mighty God. 
I love this one. It's very different than the wonderful counselor because now all of a sudden we go from this personal, personal God who I'm taking a walk with, talking to, and praying and, and feeling his assurance in some way, shape, or form. Now I'm, I'm looking at a mighty God, all-powerful, omniscient, almighty, all-holy, all-just. And, and, and later on, the same rabbi, the same prophet by the name of Isaiah he talks about this, and I'm going to just take you to Isaiah chapter 40. This is a passage that I go to a lot personally, just because it just, it just gives me a, the right perspective. So many of our issues come from the wrong view of who God is. That's for all of us. I mean, that's, that's all of us. So I have to often frequently, I'm, you know, I'm slower than most of you, so I've got to go back and read it again and again and again, just to be reminded about who God really is. And, and, and there's several passages, but Isaiah 40 is one of them. I'm just going to take you through some of these verses, not all of them, just a few of them, just to kind of show you what Isaiah says about this mighty God, okay? And it just it begins in verse 10 of, of chapter 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense is, accompanies him. He brings his reward and the consequences. He's the judge and the jury. He's the judge and the jury. And basically, the, whatever, whatever's going to happen from that. He, he's, he's, he's it. Verse 11, he tends to his flock like a shepherd. Remember, if you were here last week, Clay, our, our, our pastor of uh, spiritual formation, uh, gave a great message on the, on the, on the 23rd Psalm, and how God is our shepherd. If you, if you missed it, you can go on the, on the uh, website and get the podcast. I really appreciate it. I love the 23rd Psalm, number one. But number two, it just shows you the, the loving nature of the, the, that God is a shepherd. And, and, and even in this, in this description of mighty God, Isaiah gets that in. He, he, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket and weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Can you imagine a God so big that he takes all the Rockies and all the Smokies and just puts them on his table here and say, oh, let's see how big they are. He's that big. I mean, just, just the description here to me just, just blows me away. It just blows me away. Whom did the Lord, verse 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? No one, because he's always been God. From, from the beginning of eternity to the end of eternity, he's been God. He didn't have to be taught because he's God. He's eternal in his very nature. Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him all the nations are nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? There's no image. There's nothing. Do you not, I love this part. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Circle of the earth? You mean the earth is round? 700 years B.C., the Bible says the earth is round? Christopher Columbus sails in 1400 or 1492. And I don't know about Columbus, but an awful lot of people thought the world was flat. Why don't they read their Bibles? You know? 
Isaiah, right there, 700 years before, the, before, before Jesus, he's saying, stretches out the heavens, you know, and he, he sits above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Wow. This next part, verses 25 and 26. I have read this more than once, and then I, I, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to add the comment that I often say to myself when I read it. It's kind of personal, but, it, you know, you, you're looking at some issues. I, I go here a lot when I'm just looking at all kinds of troubles, and I can't figure out what the heck's going on, and I'm frustrated and have all kinds of angst, and I know I look like a carefree guy, like I never have issues, but every now and then, you know, I have those serious moments. Um, and, and, and he says this. This is really good. He says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And then I pause and I say, what was your problem, Rich? Hmm. So many of our problems we get hung up on because we forget who God is. This is the God who loves us, who's counted the number of hairs on our head. Now, for some of you guys, it's not a big deal, but for many of us, it is. <laughs> for many of us, it is, you know? And uh, I've often thought whenever I, 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 have a, I, have a, I have a blessing of having very thick hair, and most of the time when I go, I just say, just, just thin and trim, thin and trim, because I just, I, my hair gets really thick, and then it gets curly, and it's wavy. And all, all, so many times I'll come out of there and I'll see all the hair laying on the, I thought this, this honestly, it's going to sound weird. Uh, I see all the hair laying on the floor and, 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 and on me half the time, and, uh, which drives me crazy. And, um, and then I think to myself, you know what? God knows exactly how many hairs came out of my head just then. That's just, I just it just kind of blows me away. I think, wow. Let's see, he did the addition. You had this many, now you subtract this many. That's amazing. Great power, not the strength. Not one, not one of the stars is missing. Watch, watch verse 28. But before I read verse 28, um, let me get to um, You ever questioned God? You ever had questions? God, why are you doing this? I have. I'm raising my hand, okay? Many times. I've, I've even, I have even said it out loud. God, what in the world are you doing? Sometimes I've said worse than that. What are you doing? Let me show you what God says to that. Do you not know, verse 28, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Watch, watch, watch. This is just for you, Rich. And his understanding no one can fathom. Who in the world are we to think that we can understand the mind of Almighty God when we don't understand some of the stuff that's going on in the world or in our lives? There's a great quote about that. And I just threw this in. It's not going to be up there. I was going to read it to you. It's one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite. I consider him a mentor. I never met him, but it's one of those people that I consider a mentor that I've read his, all of his books. And uh, he was a, a theologian. First, he was a medical doctor. Then he became a theologian um, uh, in the UK, now with the Lord, named Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this. Just listen. 
Realize before you ask your questions and put forward your arguments based upon your failure to understand that you are assuming that your little mind is capable of understanding what God does. Realize that you are really suggesting that you, simple creatures such as you are, small and petty as you often are in your human relationships, you who listened to the devil and brought ruin upon yourselves, realize that you are claiming that your pygmy mind is able to understand the infinite and inscrutable mind of the eternal God. I love that. By the way, he said it too. He's very, yeah, much like that. So I often, many times, not as, as eloquent as Dr. Dr. Jones did, but often when I'm in groups, men's group, whatever, and guys say, I don't understand why God do that, does that. I'm, I'm, you know, one of my often favorite lines is, so what makes you think you and your pygmy brain can understand the Almighty God? Probably not the attitude I should have, but I mean, that's just the truth. What makes you think you can understand Almighty God? I, I'm the same place. Don't stop there in, 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 in chapter 4 of, of, of Isaiah. I want to show you one more thing because he tells how great God is and then he makes it personal for me. I love this. It's kind of like he says, God is this, God is this, God is this, God is this. Ergo, therefore, watch. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God says, I have immense power, and I'm willing to help you. That's the almighty God. He, he is a God to be feared with great reverential fear. He is a God to be held up as, 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 a, as God almighty. When you understand that, the arrival of the Messiah will change your life. Now, I've kind of built, I think Isaiah has built a little bit of a contrast for us. Here we've got, you know, wonderful counselor or, or extraordinary strategist, whichever term you want to use. And then we've got Almighty God. Kind of a contrast. This huge, wonderful, almighty, powerful, holy God, this everlasting Father who's with me in my walks, how do I get the two together? How do I, how do I synchronize these things a little bit? And I, I think the third title does that for us. The Everlasting Father. The Everlasting Father is the one who is everlasting. He's eternal. And, and, and he is someone with complete understanding of the big picture of life. Maybe, maybe you have to get a little older to understand this? Maybe not. One of, the, one of the few advantages of age, and there aren't a lot, but one of the few advantages of age would be you can look back on life and you can see some twists and turns and some mistakes that you made, that others made, that were done to you, done around you. And, and it, at, not always, but at times you're able to see how God put all that together to begin building that story within a story that is called your life. Because he's the everlasting father. That's who he is, the everlasting father. And, and, and you know, it, it's kind of like we don't always understand, but we don't have to, that way we don't have to run from stuff. We don't have to try to cover up stuff. We don't have to try to deny stuff. We, we, can, we, can, we can embrace what comes because we have not only a wonderful counselor, an almighty God, but we have the everlasting father. 
who puts it all together for us. And we trust him. Great story I love about um, somebody asked Mrs. Albert Einstein once, do you understand Dr. Einstein's mathematical equations? She replied, no, but I understand Dr. Einstein. I love that. Do I understand the eternal mysteries that happen in life and why God does certain things and doesn't do certain things and allows certain things and doesn't allow? No, I don't understand. But I know God. And I trust Him. And sometimes I might understand before I die. And sometimes I might not understand until I go to be with Jesus. But I believe I will understand any of us at that time. Spurgeon, great preacher in the 1800s, put it this way. Remember, there's nothing that happens to your daily life but what was first of all devised in eternity, counseled by Jesus Christ for your good and in your behalf, that all things might work together for your lasting benefit and profit. Oh, how strange providence seems to you and me. Does it look like a zigzag line this way and that way, backward and forward? Ah, my brethren. But to God, it's a straight line, directly. God always goes to His object. And yet to us, He often seems to go around and about. Let us learn to leave providence in the hand of the counselor. The arrival of the Messiah will change your life. If you'll let Him. If you'll let Him. Last thing. We go through wonderful counselor, everlast, uh, almighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Very briefly, this, this is very simple. You know, you're going to get a hundred or more cards in the next four weeks. Maybe you already had some. It's going to say, may there be peace on earth. Can I help you with that? There's never going to be peace on earth. Okay? Sorry. If, that, if that's a newsflash, and I just depressed you for the rest of the week, Thanksgiving weekend, I apologize. But you need to hear the truth. There's never going to be peace on earth. This is not going to happen. And that's not what this is talking about. I mean, that's okay. Pray for it. If you have the opportunity to work for it, work for it in whatever piece of earth you own and, and can help with or live in. That's fine. But there's never going to be peace on earth as long as, as, long as mankind is, is alive because he's fallen. But what this is talking about is the Prince of Peace is we have peace with God. And that's a big deal. We can have peace with God. Because when the Messiah comes, oh wait, the Messiah has come, hasn't he? For us in 2013. And he wants to change our lives and give us peace with God. It's the kind of peace with God that, that allows you to face the, the tribulations, the troubles of the day and say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you and I have a peace. Don't understand it all, but I have a peace. It's the kind of peace that when you, even when you come to the end of your life, you're able to say, my mom used to say, and she went to be with the Lord in September. Um, for the last year, she suffered a lot, and she said, I just, Rich, I know where I'm going. I'm not afraid. I just don't want to have to suffer. Unfortunately, she suffered a little bit, but not as much as she could have. But she had that peace. I'm grateful for that. Thankful that I have that. I haven't faced death yet. Thought I did a couple of times, but God was merciful. It's that peace that says, okay, I'm ready. 
Prince of Peace, the peace that he gives to those of us who've trusted him. The arrival of the Messiah has changed your life, if you'll let him. I want to take you to one last place. As, as I go, I want you just to think about it. You know, a lot of people living, I don't know if you know, there's a lot of people living like it's 800 B.C. because they haven't accepted who the Messiah is and that Jesus comes as this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And you can, you can do that right now. Just by saying, Lord, I want to trust you right here, right now. Your love and your grace the last thing I want to read to you is from Philippians chapter 2. We've got, we got a lot planned over Christmas here at church and besides the concerts and Christmas Eve services, 5, 6, and 7 o'clock. You'll hear more about that later. And I'm going to conclude this whole series on Christmas Eve with, this, with, with, with some words and remarks from this passage that I'm going to read to you right now. And just, just, just touch on it for a second. It's from Philippians 2. It's a passage that tells us Jesus, became, Jesus who was 100% God, became 100% man. And it goes like this, Philippians chapter 2. In all your relationships, amazing, it goes right back to that. With one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Messiah came as a baby, as baby Jesus. We celebrate this time of year, and he would grow to live to be a man who would die on the cross and be resurrected again. And he would do that so that we could indeed have a relationship with a wonderful counselor, an almighty God, an everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The arrival of the Messiah. He's come to change your life. Now will you let him? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for the truths that we see in the Bible. Thank you that you have laid it down for us so clearly, and I pray, God, that we would allow the Spirit of God to work in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, in ways that would be obedient to you. We thank you. We give you the, just the praise and the thanksgiving in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Real quick, as you're walking out before you leave, um, we're approaching the end of the year. Obviously, it's December. As you think about all your end of the year giving, we certainly would, we pre- first of all, appreciate your, your generosity with us thus far. But as that, uh, you uh, think about that and, and so forth, we would appreciate you thinking about us. Uh, you can give through the box. You can give on, online. Uh, stocks are a great way that, that are advantage for a lot of people. If you, if you want to think about that, the only thing I would ask, if you do that, you do that with, as the Bible teaches, a cheerful heart. Okay? So thank you very much. God bless. Have a great rest of the weekend.